You're listening to The Spear, a podcast about the combat experience from the Modern War Institute at West Point. More than 100 meters outside the village, you were definitely getting in a firefight. My first patrol I took, we had a far ambush. And then it was just a, a huge explosion. The primary threat was RKG-3 grenades, light machine guns and AK-47s, that kind of thing. Small arms fire, RPG fire. Explosively formed penetrators. Suicide bombs. And then that's about the time that the third IED went off. And that's when another grenade comes spinning over the side of the wall. And it's at that point the IED chain detonates. There was enemy in the wire. There's all these Humvees on fire. It, it was truly bullets flying from every angle that, that you could see. I open the door and look outside, and all I see is muzzle flashes. There's a guy on top with a 240, and the rounds pass right past his head. At that point, our instincts kicked in. One, one pilot on the controls, the other pilot was using his M4 to engage single-man targets on the ground. You're shooting at everything. It was a fight. Patrick, thanks so much for taking some time and uh, I guess sharing the story you're going to share for an episode of The Spear. Well, it's my pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. So uh, this is kind of an interesting episode for us because it's it's the first time that uh, somebody has heard one of our episodes and then reached out and said, hey, I, I was there too. You know, I experienced the same thing, but from a different perspective. And I think it's a really cool opportunity. We actually just aired, re-aired uh, the previous one uh, the previous episode that talked about this incident so that l- listeners can kind of hear them kind of juxtaposed against one another. Um, and really, I think the two together, what I like about about doing this is that the two together really illustrate just how kind of individual, how unique a combat experience can be, even when two people experience the same, the same event. So the event that we're talking about is, uh, is from Cop Callahan in 2007. Is that right? That's correct. So can you kind of give a little bit of background, first of all, um, just for listeners to kind of introduce yourself, what was your job in the Army, um, and, and, and how did you end up at Cop Callahan in, in 2007? Okay. Um, well, I enlisted in the military 2005 as a delayed entry uh, soldier, uh, as a military policeman, uh, graduated high school May 25th, 2006, went to basic training three weeks later, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Uh, upon uh, graduation, I was assigned to uh, Fort Bragg, and through in process and through the in process uh, in processing station, I was given orders to the 108th MP Company, 16th MP Brigade Airborne, and I got to my unit uh, about the tail end of December, beginning of January, and I was told in no certain terms don't get too comfortable we're deploying to iraq this coming may and by the way you're a machine gunner so for the first four months of uh 2007 i was training to be a machine gunner in both light and heavy weapons and when we deployed to uh kuwait uh in iraq my team was uh given a was it a three-day crash course on the ASV um, armor security vehicle that we be that we were going to be using in Iraq 
uh, we started uh, our 15 month tour um, in Mosul doing three months uh, convoy security uh, from Key West to multiple bases up and around uh, northern Iraq. And then once uh, those three months were over, we transitioned to Baghdad and our company was split up to multiple different uh, cops and fobs. My platoon was sent to uh, Adamia district and the northeastern part of Baghdad adjacent to Sadr city. And uh, the rest of the company was uh, split between multiple uh, bases in central Baghdad. And that's we were, we were pretty much our own standalone platoon for 12 months. Uh, our job in Baghdad, as well as our MP company, was to train and assist local Iraqi police uh, stations within our districts to, well, to be better uh, at integrating with the uh, the, uh, the uh, local populace, much like okay. the police department um, you see here. So I want to I want to ask a couple questions about what we just talked about. So you, it, so you start your first three three months are doing convoy security. After that, you um, have a different mission in the part of uh, northern Baghdad that you were in. Uh, you mentioned a vehicle, the ASV. Can you yes. just kind of describe that for listeners? Yes, it's the uh, the official name is the M eleven seventeen uh, armor security vehicle. It's primarily used by military police uh, teams. Or companies, it's pretty much a huge armored uh, vehicle. Um, the two main armaments that it has is the Mark 19 is the primary weapon, and the coax is a 50 caliber. Um, and it, it it saved our lives. I mean, it's it can take a beating. It it's rated for um, high impact. Um, uh, roadside bombs, uh, for example, the the wheel, uh, the chassis, it can withstand a two, was it two anti tank mines double stacked on one another, and the vehicle will survive. It can take um, a one five five air burst about twenty five feet above the vehicle, and it'll still still be operational. Um, imagine the same. Uh, munitions used on the Humvee, it will just split that vehicle in half. So it it will take uh, take a beating and keep the uh, crew alive. So when you when you get to Baghdad, this is what your platoon is essentially rolling around and conducting your missions. Uh, yes, one of the uh, each squad was given an ASV, and um, one team from each squad was trained on that vehicle, uh, like I stated earlier. So everybody in my squad was rolling in 1114 up armored Humvees and I was, my team was rolling in the uh, ASV for the, okay. from August to uh, November. So when you get to Baghdad, uh, were you living at Cop Callahan with the battalion that was headquartered there? Yes, we were um, living with these uh 82nd Airborne, that was stationed there at that time, yes. So uh, just for listeners, 
um, you know, it's, it, this is, I guess, a really natural thing that you'll have, you might have Cop Callahan, everybody knew it as, you know, the home of this particular battalion during this rotation, but you have all these sort of augmentees and other small units that are assigned there. And so you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're living there just like anybody in this battalion is, Correct. uh, and was your, was your mission, um, in part force protection of it or, or of, of the cop or was it, were you, you know, kind of out every day engaging uh, with the local police? Uh, we were out pretty much every day engaging with our uh, partners. Uh, each squad was given a different district within Automia. Uh, the first squad had the Bostatine area, which is to the west of Automia, just across the highway. Uh, second squad had the southern portion of Ur, I believe, which is directly across from Sider City, separated only by a street. And then my squad, third squad, we had the Al Shab district of Anamia. And each squad had its own police department or a police station that we went to eight hours a day or eight to 10 hours a day, every day, to help train the Iraqi police to become more of a community policing, like you uh, see in the United States with police officers um, interacting with shopkeepers, the local populace. Um, so that was that was our job as, the, or as our MP company. Okay, so... And uh, I know we, you know, we've we've done a several episodes that have had some mention to Sadr City. So mm -hmm. uh, listeners that have heard those will know what it is. But for those who have not, um, Sadr City was this area in northeast Baghdad that was a predominantly Shia, um, really kind of slum, densely populated, and for a period of time was kind of a no-go area. And we knew that you know there was going to be have to be a reckoning at some point. I think because. Uh, there were militia forces that were there that were stockpiling weapons. And so everything kind of around the periphery was a little bit, you know, on edge, I think, constantly more so than it was in, in some of the other parts of, of Baghdad at the time. So when you when you get there, uh, you've already got three months in country, but in a very different, you know, area of operations. When you get down to Baghdad, what are the sorts of threats that you were, that your, say, your squad was most concerned about was it ieds was it small arms fire what was it uh it was a combination of everything it was uh snipers I ieds efps uh suicide bombers um car bombs everything that you guys have talked about in previous episodes or you see on you know the news or movies that's pretty much what we faced on a daily basis um even inside the should, compound. We should say this is this is in 2007, which is kind Correct. of you know it's the height of the surge, um, and you know the the bad guys that were there that the surge was meant to get a handle on were not going down without a fight. So this is a pretty unstable and turbulent and very violent time in in Baghdad as well. Correct. That was we were told that Automia district that we were going into was the second most dangerous. Uh, part of Baghdad outside of Sadr City and we were barely maybe half a mile away from Sadr City from where our base was so you could drive down go out go outside the gate take a right to on uh, route crimson to route gold and if you stay on route gold which is diagonal excuse me running diagonal 
um, across Al Shab and Ur, you'll get to Sadr City um, on the outskirts of Sadr City within five minutes on on a okay. good day of traffic. So, you know, one of the things that when people think about the war in Iraq, especially I think in in kind of more densely populated areas, it's it's IEDs are sort of the weapon that that kind of define that war, um, particularly EFPs, uh, explosively formed penetrators um, that you know could be hidden by walls, and it was you know that that was sort of the threat that that we were really I think consumed or concerned by, and then one day uh, on Cop Callahan where your platoon was located. Uh, there was a new weapon that made its appearance on the on the battlefield for the first time, really. And that was the IRAM or lob bomb, which are we've described it in the past episode, but is essentially um, some sort of canister. It can be made of propane, propane tanks or fire extinguishers or all kinds of things that are uh, sort of have a, a rocket motor assisted or sorry bolted onto it to 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 launch it, and they can be filled with. Uh, ball bearings, other sorts of shrapnel, and they're—I mean, they're—they're they're dangerous. They're pretty deadly. They're not very accurate, but if they can get close enough to the target, whoever's firing it has a pretty good chance of of doing some damage. And this is the the attack that you experienced, right? Yes, that's correct. So, so what time of day was it? Uh, it was right around seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, we just got done with our squad doing our daily brief, daily SIGAX brief. And we were heading down to the vehicles and we were, uh, we were getting ready to uh, roll out. And the, um, I was inside the ASV doing radio checks with our talk, the other vehicles, making sure, you know, our radios were functioning. The drivers and uh, team leaders were outside getting a last minute uh, briefing from our squad leader and then all of a sudden we hear this noise like you know those Katusha rockets you hear on uh, those World War II clips you know the Russians firing at that screeching metal sound and I had I was enclosed in the ASV with my uh, combat vehicle crew member helmet on and I could he- hear that noise through the whole, uh, through the armor plating, through my helmet, and I looked through my little uh, side mirror, similar to that to the uh, Bradley or Abrams, and I see things come over the, the the wall, and everybody just scrambled back to their vehicles. I don't think my driver or TC touched the front slope of the ASV. They just dove right into it, closed the uh, hatches down, dogged them, and within 10 seconds of them coming in we started feeling the impacts uh it started they started walking the rockets up and down the uh staging area where our vehicles were at so it was my squad and i believe our second squad was also out there along with elements of the uh white falcon brigade they were heading on heading out on mission with their vehicles staged and it's just all hell broke loose. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was bad. Um, we could feel the rockets walking it up and down the, uh, like I said, the vehicle staging area. And 
one of those one of those rockets hit us uh, direct direct impact in the uh, through the engine block and so, it picked it picked us up it picked up a 29,000 pound vehicle and it pushes forward uh, 15 feet wow so so this is the, the this barrage is already going on you can I mean you're you're able to feel uh, yeah. the impact of the rounds that are 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 not you know right on your vehicle how 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 long into it you know is this the third impact is this the fifth is it the tenth do you do you remember it was i want to say the third maybe fourth impact that it came it was walking right behind us it was you know starting at the far if you're looking at the building from the motor pool it was starting from the left and walking to the right towards the, towards the gate so um it maybe three or four rockets in felt a concussion and the next thing i know we get a direct impact um it flung us forward uh, about 15 feet from impact and i was i was in the gunner's uh hatch or a gunner's uh, position and I look up my gunner's hatch is blown completely off body overpressure it uh, blew open all the uh the hatches that were uh battle lock from the inside uh some heavy duty uh, hinges uh, were blown off the uh pretty much all the hatches and doors in the uh, crew compartment which i was in um so you could basically see clear as day outside out the right hand side of the vehicle you can see the T-walls, the fuel tankers, as clear as day. But if you looked outside to your left, it was, it was nothing but smoke, dust, and um, it was it was the worst type of hell imaginable. Did you have any idea what what it was? Uh, we had um, a briefing the night before saying, "Hey, there's." credible intelligence chatter saying hey there's a there's a big attack plan for tomorrow um just be on you know p's and q's make sure your weapons are clean uh they didn't know what type of uh attack was coming all all they knew was something big big was planned so had you been on the cop had you been um had you had you been hit by rockets or mortars previously uh, we've been hit by uh, 60 millimeter mortars at least three times a day. Um, nothing but harassing fire just to, you know, make a scramble from, you know, wherever you're at back into the building. Uh, the SOP for the building was if you weren't, if you were not at all mission or doing um, uh, gate duty, you were inside at all times. Uh, the only time you were allowed not to, you were able to wear uh, just regular uh, ACUs or uh, PT uniforms was going to the shower or to the uh, porta johns. Um, if you're throwing out trash or anything past uh, five feet away from the building, you have to have a uh, full kit on at all times. So, so, so you'd been mortared. You said it was. Yep. Sounds like a pretty frequent thing, but you must. I mean, you ha- you had to have known at this moment. This is this is something a hell of a lot bigger than. It, 60 millimeter mortars it uh yeah it we knew right when the sound came on or when we heard the uh the rockets being launched that something big was headed away 
we didn't we didn't we didn't know the, the scope of it until uh, a couple of days after. But whatever they hitting, they were throwing everything at us that they had. Um, uh, it, it was we didn't even know what it was. We just heard screeching and then just seeing. You know, we we could tell it was rockets because some of us or some of the people in the Humvees were able to get a bigger view of the munitions coming at us than I could through my little uh, side mirrors. And they said it was just like rockets just wobbling over the uh, the uh, perimeter wall. Um, and then they started impacting around us. Uh, and like I said, the, uh, the impact pushes forward uh, went through the top of the engine block or through the uh, top armor through the engine block and out the bottom uh, and it just caused all types of uh, malfunctions within the vehicle uh, it blew off one of our tires um, and when I look back at the uh, crew uh, the excuse me the engine compartment where we kept our AT4 rocket launcher the extra cans of 50 caliber ammo, extra cans of Mark 19 high explosive dual purpose rounds. Also, there was just black, thick black smoke coming out of the engine compartment. Um, my team leader turned around to see where I was. I, I'll give him a flash one thumbs up. And I told him, like, hey, we're on fire. He looks back at the uh, engine compartment and tells my driver or our driver start hitting the halon switch you know to douse the flames but the vehicle is already dead uh we can even communicate with the uh with the rest of the trucks letting them letting them letting them know that we were hit and we were bailing out because we've we had uncontrolled fire in the engine compartment with massive amounts of munitions in there and we decided right then and there in the middle of a rocket barrage that we were bailing out. So they went out their, their uh, respective hatches in front and I opened up what was left of the doors and I did a combat roll outside the vehicle, landed on my back and usually the ASV lower door, when you when it's down, usually comes up to your uh, about knee height if you're about six foot. Uh, I've that's usually what two three feet off the ground i did a combat roll and land on my back from five feet off the ground because like i said one of the tires got blown off and it shifted the entire uh vehicle on one side um once i got back my feet i tried grabbing the uh our weapons basically that were lashed against the uh left hand side of the door trying to get are trying to get my saw out, trying to get the uh, team leaders and drivers M4 out of the vehicle just in case we were getting overrun, we would have something to fight with. Um, unfortunately, well, I mean, not unfortunately, thankfully, my team leaders say, hey, just forget those things. Let's go, let's get back inside the building. So I still have my CVC helmet on, my body armor, and what we call gunner's pants, which is basically the bottom half of an EOD suit. You got uh, Kevlar pants, uh, for lack of a better term, a diaper, Kevlar diaper that covers um, 
what the uh, pants don't and it has a ceramic shin plate from about your knee down to your ankles to protect you from uh, fragmentation up in the uh, gunner's turret. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was running with that trying to keep from tripping on those pants while avoiding the shrapnels that I was dinging around. You could you could see the impacts further down on the line and we could feel the, the concussion, the heat and the uh, shrapnel zinging past us while, we're, while we were running back into the building or at least trying to find the most inner T-walls to guide us back into the uh, to the actual building. So when uh, you sorry to break in and, and interrupt but so the impact happens and mm-hmm. it sounds like almost your first instinct um, and not just yours but your, your team's is hey, let's get out of this vehicle you do that um, are there still rounds impact are there still other of these lob bombs IRMs yeah they were, they were still impacting we got hit by the third and fourth they were at least from reports later on there was at least 12 or 15 impacts so we we're bailing out in the middle of the first uh first barrage and how far from the building was your vehicle uh on a good day at least same five feet maybe 100 feet away from the main entrance of the building and then you have the qrf positioned and then you have another set of t-walls then you have the general uh vehicle staging so about maybe same five to 100 feet away so what's going through your head at that moment? Jeez, 19 years old, like, man, this is not fun. Um, this is pure, you know, pure panic. I mean, just, I mean, we train for, you know, indirect fire and basic training and, you know, the pre-deployment training. So, you know, it, it was joking around, like, oh, yeah, it's never going to happen to us. And it's like, but... You know, it's just that training kicked in. Like I was, you know, I was, I was scared that, hey, I'm gonna, you know, run to a home V I can't see and knock my, you know, knock myself out, or, you know, I'm gonna get hit by shrapnel or or something something worse. But uh, we made it through, just pretty much by, you know, uh, touch and feel going through. Okay, that's a home V. That's a T wall, and we finally made it out of that. Uh, dust cloud and I just collapsed inside the uh, the building just the adrenaline uh, wore off um, just trying to get that gunner's pants off as far as I you know get it off me and so I can actually move um, it was it was just chaotic um, my driver and uh, team leader took me to the um, aid station where I was treated for scratches and uh, stuff like that and it was about 7.15 in the morning when the rockets finally stopped uh, coming in. So I was about to like 15-minute attack. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we, I hunkered down the aid station until all clear was given. And the, uh, we just waited for the second round, you know, second wave to come in because that's the... Uh, jihadist uh, modus operandi it was do the first wave wait for you know people go out and check the damage and send for you know 
at least the second wave. Well, they only had one wave uh, of rockets because the vehicle that they had it, their launching vehicle was set to be a suicide bomb or a car bomb. So we heard that use explosions. So we thought, hey, they're coming through the walls. You know, I'm in the aid station, so I don't have any weapons. So I was like, well, this, this sucks. Uh, so, and then looking around, I saw a couple of M4s along the wall because the, the infantry guys came in that were on the outside and the uh, guard shack, they were shaking. They came in with their M4s and they put it down. And then we heard through the radio, hey, you know, the walls are breached, you know, because the, the cameras that we had couldn't see through, through the smoke. All they saw was explosions. And they thought, hey, we're being overrun. So I grabbed the nearest M4 and positioned myself along with others along the uh, entrance of the aid station, just waiting. Uh, finally, word came down that, hey, uh, we're good. No one's, uh, no one's in the compound. Uh, you know, stand down. Uh, after I was released from the uh, aid station, with orders to come back every couple hours to check on my concussion, you know, started talking to uh, other squads, other you know, other teams in our squad. They thought we were all dead. My team, they thought our our entire team was wiped out because they they saw the impact of our of the ASV. And after that, they couldn't see anything. And then uh, their vehicle was maybe 10 feet behind ours when they saw the impact. And after after the impact, they couldn't see anything past the front front of their front end of their Humvee. So they thought every one of us was dead because by the time the rockets you know stopped coming in, they ran to the ASV and it was fully engulfed in flames. The, uh, the ammunition exploded the turret was blown off into the HLZ they thought we were dead because all the doors were blown open but we walked out of the front door and they looked at us like well where the hell did you guys come from and we told yeah, them you know, we went to the aid station you know I, so I, I was in uh, I was in on the other side of Sauter City in the south side of Sauter City at FOB Loyalty when it got hit by an IRAM attack and I th about six months later or so in the spring of 2008. And I mean, the damage that, you know, even 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 a, 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 a near impact does to mm -hmm. vehicles is astounding. I mean, these, yeah. are, these are devastating weapons. So it's, yeah. it's no shock that people would look at that vehicle and say, how could anybody survive that? Because these, right. I mean, these are these are incredibly destructive weapon systems. Exactly. But I want to I mean, ask you, you had, um, you, you, you know, you mentioned you made one reference to training. Obviously that's like that, that is what the U S army does really, really, really well. It trains and trains and trains. It takes you from, you know, crawl to walk, to run. And, and the purpose of that is really so that things become muscle memory. So when something like this happens, you know, you guys all have, you know, up until that attack, you're all, aware of your surroundings, you know, you know, you're, you're thinking clearly and then this happens and it, I mean, it just, it's like destabilizing, right? You're trying exactly. to figure out which way is up. Um, and, and I think in that sense, like what training is meant to do is to take you from 
being kind of off kilter, being sort of destabilized and returning you back to, okay, we're ready to fight if we got to fight. How long did that process take? I know that you guys ran in and you were in the aid station, but how long was it before, you know, your team leader had accountability and if, if, if you had to be ready to, to do something, you could have? Uh, well, they dropped me off at the aid station because they still had their uh, sidearms with them. Mine was in the AZV because I couldn't wear it with my uh, couldn't wear my pistol belt with the uh, gunner's pants on. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty much unarmed. And then, like I said, you know, some of the infantry guys had their M4s stacked along the wall. Uh, but my team leader and my driver, uh, after they went to the aid or left me at the aid station i can't really recount where they were at or what they were doing but after i guess they were up in the talk saying hey melton's down the aid station harris and i are here we're good you know vehicles on fire so i guess they were my guess they were updating our uh platoon sergeant because our our lt was out on the uh in the vehicle staging area as well so it was he was giving reports to our platoon sergeant. And then after the rocket attack and the pretty much explosion of my ASV to do the cook-off, you know, everyone assembled back into the uh, atrium and th- just the look of disbelief that we made out of the ASV, you know, pretty much unscathed. Well, a couple scratches, you know, concussions all around, but... Other than that, made it out alive. But so when you know when uh, you had three months up in Mosul, mm-hmm. um, you had you had some time down at Cop Callahan. Um, you had some time in Baghdad. You had been. You said you got hit by sixties pretty much every day. I mean, this is a you know this is a high threat environment. You're exactly. Already dealing with some stuff, but. Did this was this like a was this a a turning point in the deployment in any way? Did it change your mentality? Uh, it it brought it home because in, in up in the convoys we saw a couple of, you know dead bodies along the median. You know we stopped, gave uh, you know coordinates so you know the local Iraqi army or the joint Iraqi army American army could come in and get the bodies and stuff like that. So. Seeing dead bodies on, on the side of the road or having ID impacts, it wasn't um, new to us. It was new to me because when I was on leave during that summer, my squad, my company got hit pretty hard on, on a convoy security uh, mission. I didn't get hit with an ID uh, until uh, we were in... Uh, Baghdad in, in uh, September. That was my first IED strike, and that it 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 woke me up to the, the seriousness of it. Because don't don't take me wrong, I everything we do was serious, but just knowing that I was you know hit with an IED, it really sobered my perspective up. And then when that rocket hit us less than three feet behind my turret, it really hit home that, hey, if we parked three feet back, now it would have gone through my turret and into the crew compartment. You know, it's just, you know, 
it sobered me up real quick. Um, saying, hey, this is, <laughs> you came three feet from being, you know, instantly killed. You know, it's, it sobered, it sobered me up for the rest of the deployment. Um, so it, it really changed my mindset. Even, even now, you know, it's uh, 11 years later and still thinking about, okay, the, the little, I want to say, call it luck or divine intervention, whatever you have, that we parked where we did that day instead of the usual three feet back because we came out out of the uh, building, you know, a little bit later than we were supposed to, and the Home V pretty much took our spot, and we just pulled up three feet ahead of them, which, you know, saved our lives, wrecked that Home V behind us, which was part of our squad. Um, that vehicle is totally, you know, destroyed due to that close proximity impact. And then a piece of my engine block almost went through the windshield into my, you know, one of my friend's faces. I mean, that, you know, it was, it was that close, but it just, it just sobered me up. Did it change, um, did it change the dynamic within your team, within your squad, you know, there are a lot of you hear cliches like the right. you know um, you know that this is a brotherhood or mm-hmm. what have you that that you know there's there's no experience that is can be shared so closely as the experience of combat um, right. and those things are all all true but you know it's especially at you know there's there's no there's no formation you know that's that's already more close than a team than a squad. I mean, you're, right. you're talking a very small uh, group of people. Did it, did it impact the way that you guys um, sort of collectively maybe thought about your mission, went about your mission? Did it change the way that you interacted with one another? It, we had a uh, platoon sit down with the uh, Y Falcon uh, chaplain to have like a round table discussion, first name basis saying, Hey, where we, where we were at, what we were doing at that time, so we can, you know, have like a, uh, a group therapy session. And some of the sergeants that I respected then and I still respect now uh, told us, hey, you know, for a bunch of cherries, you guys did okay. You know, you guys aren't cherries anymore. You guys are rookies. Um, and, uh, one of the sergeants, our, two of our sergeants in our squad that I, you know, looked up to, he was in tears saying, hey, we saw the rocket impact your ASV. We saw it burst into flames. You know, we thought you guys were dead when we, you know, ran up there. All the hatches were blown open. The fires in the crew compartment. You know, and then when you guys walked out, you know, out of the, you know, aid station or from the stairs from the office, he, you know, he was in tears, you know, saying that they thought, you know, we were lost. And that was the first time I saw him, you know, you know, cry like that. I mean, he was a sergeant that, you know, smoked me when I got to my unit. He was the one that, you know, all of them, you know, pushed us since 75% of the platoon was fresh from basic training. So he was... He was in tears, and that really, you know, set in my mind that hey, I'm a private. I mean, I'm only 
a year from you know year out from graduation 2006 and this guy's you know battle hard and he's been through you know deployments and stuff like that but seeing him you know tear up thinking that we were dead really hit home and you know it it brought not only the team and the squad together but the platoon and you know we just you know gave that as a uh uh, learning, uh, teaching, teaching point. So when we got back to the States and say, Hey, this A's V can take it. It's been proven to take a hit firsthand experience. And then we could teach the new privacy thing. Hey, this vehicle or the up armor vehicles, they're designed to take hits that you cannot imagine. And then we would show them the live leak video of the attack and just let them absorb that moments saying hey we're not blowing the smoke up your ass we're telling you how it is so you know respect you know pretty much respect the equipment that you have and just you know uh, respect each other pretty much how did the rest of the deployment go was it um was this sort of a did it i mean you know this you go a lot of different ways and it's a very individual right uh, thing the way that you respond to this it's a you can respond and say like this really kind of hits home like how how close you are at any given day in in a combat zone to you know tragedy or you can respond and say hey we we came that close and and survived a direct hit by an iram to our vehicle nothing can stop us now i mean how did how how did the rest of the deployment go it, it was it was a mix of both of those um we were nicknamed Team Dirt Diver for a reason because our team was an IED magnet for our squad. There was never a time that uh, an IED ever went off behind us. It was either in front of us or it was a uh, direct IED strike. And we just, it was just a regular thing. I mean, after the IRM attack, like, okay, what else did I have to throw at us? They threw rockets at us. They threw mortars at us. It didn't. You know, it didn't phase us. It didn't stop us. Um, the one time, well, two times uh, in employment that really hit home was in December when two of our friends were hit by a 60 millimeter, 60 millimeter mortar prior to them going out because it was my uh, team's down day to, you know, bring our vehicle and do some maintenance. Um, well, by that time... Our team was given a brand new 1151 up armored vehicle, so it was, you know, we were going to do maintenance that day, but by like 7:15 we got calling, you know, handheld, saying, "Hey, uh, two of our guys just got hit by mortars in the parking lot. They're being medevaced out. Harrison Melton, you're now, you know, gunning and driving for the squad leader. Get your gear, hopping in Humvee. Uh, that was that was a scary moment." Because um, we didn't know how bad they were. They were instantly brought to the aid station and then the medevac birds were brought in uh, to take them out. Um, they they came back about a month later or so from convalescent leave and um, recovery. And then the last major hit for our platoon was March of 2008 when... Uh, the 82nd was leaving, and the 4th ID was taking over uh, command of Audi, me, and Callahan. That one of our 
one of my good friends, uh, he was on patrol and I was again, you know, on a down day, he, his, he was hit by a uh, rocket RPG fired from a rooftop and it hit the uh, gunner's, um, uh, gunner's turret right above his head. And all of us had a combination of HESCO material or, uh, some sort of, um, wire mesh right above her head so what they think was that the R uh, rpg hit the wire mesh and prematurely detonated above his head and uh you know caused severe damage to himself and the uh and the weapon systems that he had but you know that was like the last three months of our deployment and he survived because uh, the gunner's pants saved you know his legs majority of his wounds were you know up in his you know, upper body arms um but that was that was three months before we got back but barring those um, um well there was one other incident where one of my friends got hit by a sniper it was a through and through on his leg um so we lost uh him for the rest of the tour he made it back, got his Purple Heart, and I believe Bronze Star. Uh, the two that got hit in December, they came back to her platoon. And then uh, the, the specialist or corporal that got hit by the RPG, he was sent home to Walter Reed. And he rejoined our company when we got back stateside sometime, I want to say December 2008. So five months after he got hit, he was back in our uh company and Fort Bragg doing his uh, military police duties so it's those events and just in our platoon we, we became stronger I mean they can take one of us out but we're gonna we're gonna you know step up and cover his or her uh, her weight so it didn't, it didn't really impact our mission it's just it's just hit home that we, you know, like 18 19 year olds 20 year olds we aren't Invincible. We're not seven feet tall and bulletproof, like you know, like they, you know, like you see in the movies. Oh yeah, this this is not going to happen to me. So it, it really changed my mind, saying, "Hey, I'll you know, I came three feet from being blown up. You know, my friends got hit by mortars. You know, we were lucky that none of our people throughout the entire company were killed. We, you know, someone's got blown up, shot at, you know, purple hearts, but none of our None of our guys lost their lives, and that's what I'm real thankful for. You know, it's just, I guess you can call it luck, uh, right place, right time, or right place, wrong time, depending on your your point of view of it, but it, it brought everybody together, you know, at, towards the end. Yeah, it's one of the things that I think in in recording now, we, you know, we've done quite a few episodes of the spear, and the idea is to get, you know, is to kind of get to the essence of the combat experience. And and as I mentioned, one of the things that I like about this is that you're telling a story of the same event from a very different perspective as another guest that we had, um, and it, it that experience is very individual. But one of the themes that comes out is. Um, that even though the experience is individual, the effects are collective and it does have that impact. It does uh, bring it together with 
the rest of your team, the rest of your squad, the rest of your platoon, the rest of your battalion, you know, right. It, it, it just does it, 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 you know, it's, I, I, I don't think they're the right words to describe, uh, the way in which it makes you feel closer. Um, but it certainly has that impact. And, and to be honest, probably makes you, uh, makes your team, your squad, your platoon, your battalion, um, a stronger fighting force because of it, because of that shared experience of, of, of combat. So Patrick, thanks very much. Um, really appreciate you making some time to, uh, to, to, to share your story with us. Well, thank you, John, for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of the spear. The spear is produced by the modern war Institute at West point. What you hear in each episode are the views of the participants and don't represent the position of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. Be sure you're subscribed to The Spear on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app, where you can also give the podcast a rating or leave a review, which helps us reach new listeners. And if you aren't yet following MWI on social media, please find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening.